is Faith Is, and I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. And we, on this program, talk about faith, and we try to stretch our faith, and we try to come to grips with what is faith really. And I've been saying for a while now, and I guess I keep saying it because it helps me, that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. What is faith to you? Well, today on the program, it's Instant Sermon Weekend. Instant Sermon is not what some people wish it was. It's not adding water to the pastor and stirring and seeing what happens. No, that's not what Instant Sermon is, but it is a little different approach that we take at our church whenever a month has five Sundays. And so October this year has five Sundays, so this is Instant Sermon Weekend for us. And what that means is that I invite anybody who wants to in our church to write down a question or a thought or a concern, really anything that occurs to them that they would like to make sure that we address on the program so that we can come to grips with their concerns and and it helps me talk about the things people are interested in. Now, I, I don't know that I always give great answers to these things, but I do know we have a great time, and I do know it's a great way for us to have a conversation. And so we do. Sometimes, even in, in our setting, sometimes people who are part of the church who are sitting in the congregation, they'll, they'll have a contribution. And so we try to make it a, a little bit interactive and a little bit of a, of a back and forth, and sometimes people add things to it, and they remind me of something. So it's kind of a way that we think of it starts a conversation, and it helps us grow and have faith in God, confidence in God. And it helps us address some of the important things that are going on in the world today. So we hope this is helpful for you when we do instant sermon on the Faith Is program. I realize it's a little different because, yes, it's true at church, they just hand me the questions and and we have a, an on-the-spot conversation. I don't see the questions ahead of time usually. A couple of people have given me questions for this weekend, so I've had those ahead of time. But we just use it as a conversation starter, and, and it's remarkable how God has helped us with that. Now, of course, here I get to choose the questions, and so it's not exactly the same, but I try to make it a little bit that way because I don't go through and make myself a bunch of notes. I might make a, a note or two just to remind myself of something, but I want this to be kind of us thinking about this together, a little bit of thinking out loud together doesn't mean we're always going to come to the final conclusion on everything. And, and really, I don't necessarily feel like I have to come to the final conclusion for you. I want you to wrestle with some of these things and come to some conclusions yourself. Maybe I can help kind of spark that conversation and, and help you think a little differently. People tell me I think differently. I don't know if that's a gift or if it's something else, but it is what it is. And so we're going to take some questions and we're going to just kind of talk our way through them and try to help each other grow in our understanding of God and our ability to trust him. Because really, that's what it comes down to. It all comes down to trust and to, to believe that God is trustworthy. Because if we don't trust him, we won't follow him. If we don't trust him, we won't do what he says. If we don't trust him, we'll stop do, won't, we won't stop doing what he tells us to stop doing. And so we need to wrestle with this idea of how can we trust God? 
And we need to start with the assumption we're going to. But well, anyway, that's a that's a different sermon, isn't it? So here's the first question that that came to me recently, and that I decided we ought to talk about a little bit here. It's a little bit long. We'll go back after I read the statement and, and unpack it a little bit because it's really, really important. And this is one that I was thinking about this week, and I thought, man, I bet I didn't give a very good answer when this came up at church, but we'll try to do a better job here. And there are a lot of people that are heartbroken, and that's what this, this person's comment reflects, uh, a real broken heart for a son. And, and we, a lot of us share that concern and we want to, we want to help each other with it. So here we go. This person gave me this on their card for instant sermon Sunday, a while back. I believe in prayer. I have been praying for years that my son will return to his faith and bring his family along with him. This hasn't happened. It's difficult to pray with confidence when prayers are unanswered. This will take a real miracle, but I believe God can do this. Sometimes I wonder if God has not answered this prayer because my own faith is weak at times. Plus, there is a lot of room for improvement in my own life. And that's the end of the question that, that was given me. It wasn't exactly a question, but you can hear the question in, in the comments that this person wrote. And, and our hearts go out to people like this, don't they? You may have friends, you may have fam family members. It may be you that's wrestling with somebody you care about that has, has wandered far from God, maybe never was close to God, maybe was and then went away, and now you're just kind of concerned. And this, this person has real concern. So let's, let's talk about this a little bit, and let's just think together about it. I, like I said, we won't answer every question or have every thought, but maybe as I think my way through this and as we talk about it, God will help you with some ideas in your situation, or maybe if you have a friend, then you can kind of help coach them through it. So first thing that the person wrote was, I believe in prayer. And, and I think that's a very common statement. Many people would say they believe in prayer. They, they believe in it without reservation. They think we should pray. Um, the question that I start to ask myself when I hear that statement and, and, and when I read some of what the, this person wrote to me here is, what do you mean when you say you believe in prayer? And I think there's a little cautionary note here for all of us. Do we believe in prayer in the way that if we pray, God is obligated to do what we want him to do? Is that what we mean when we say we believe in prayer? When we say we believe in prayer, do we believe that, well, God hears our prayers, and, and if we pray and we know it's something he wants to get done, will that not automatically happen then? God will do what we ask him to do because, because we're agreeing with what he wants to get done. What do we mean when we say we believe in prayer? Part of me, when I hear this, and some of you are going to need to be sitting down when I say this, okay? But a fairly large part of me when I hear this is I want to say to people, you know, I believe in God. I don't believe in prayer. Prayer is just what the word we use for, for when we talk to God. And so we need to remind ourselves that it's, that it's God that we trust. It's not a practice of prayer. It's not like so many people, I see writers write this way all the time, and it just kind of uh, 
devastates me inside. I don't talk about it out loud a lot, but here we go today. But they, they seem to want to always come up with this formula and say to us, if you'll just pray like this, like I did in this situation, then God will do what you want him to do. And, and I'm always thinking, what? How can that be? God is God, not me. All I am is the petitioner to bring my concern to God at his invitation, and then it's up to me to trust him to take care of things. So anyway, that's a little bit a thought about what do we mean when we say I believe in prayer. So I, I want to assume that this person believes that, that praying is a good thing and that we should pray about these kinds of concerns like she expressed for her son or he. I don't know if it was a he or a she. I guess I was assuming she because so many mothers express this kind of thing. So um, this, this person's concerned for their son. They've been praying for years that he would return to God and, and include his family. And, and to be sure, the, the, the writer is correct. The fathers in households have huge impact on their, on their children, their whole family. When fathers turn to God, it's remarkable what families do and how quickly the rest of the family turns. When dad says, no, I'm not interested or strays away, it's remarkable how so many people follow his example. So she's right to be concerned about that because it has a huge influence and impact on the family. And she's honest enough, or he, whoever, whoever this writer was, is honest enough to say that, that the son hasn't returned to God. And so the next statement I found very interesting and very helpful to kind of to remind ourselves about something important. The writer says, it's difficult to pray with confidence when prayers are unanswered. And that caused me to pause again, because wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't pray to get what we want. We pray to share our concerns with God and trust him to handle it. So one of the things that, that okay, I, I, I guess some people might struggle with this, but one of the things that I want to say is that, that when we talk about praying with confidence, we don't pray with confidence that our prayers will be answered. We pray with confidence that we trust God. Faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. So if we're going to pray with confidence, and many people, and this gets back to the people that want to tell us how to pray, then if we'll only follow their formula, God has to hear and he has to do what we say. Uh, forget that. Whenever you see that, just turn it off, walk away. It's just not the way the Bible talks about things, as I understand the Bible anyway. So when we want to pray with confidence, our prayers of confidence are that God is as concerned or even more concerned about this than we are. It's not with a confidence that requires God to do what we're asking. It's a confidence that says to God, we appreciate your concern. We are grateful that you know all about this situation. We know that you know about this young man that needs to turn to you. And we know you are doing everything to reach him and his family because you care about him and you want everyone to turn to you. That's the kind of confidence we need to express to God. Some, uh, okay, I don't know you. I, I, I can't see you right now, but, but I'm pretty sure the whole bunch of people listening right now have been 
agonizing and praying, desperately praying. And could I suggest to you that you ought to, to just change that and start thanking God for his concern that he shares with you and that his heart is always toward people that need to come to know him and that he cares about this family that you're so concerned about and just lift them to him with gratitude for them and for their lives and for his loving concern for them and express your confidence to God and thanks that you, that you know he is doing everything possible to persuade them to follow him. And the writer goes on to say that, that for this son to return to God would be a real miracle. Um, God works on people's hearts and we can trust him to do that. And, and sometimes it seems like these things are just not possible, just not going to happen. And that's why we would say it takes a real miracle. And I understand that. But the writer also says, I believe God can do this. And that's part of what I mean when I'm saying we need to pray with confidence and thanksgiving that God is working on this. And we need to say to him, thank you. I know you're doing this and I thank you for doing it. I know you will do everything you can to bring my son and his family back to you. That's confidence. That's belief. Now, then the, the writer takes a different turn a little bit and, and, and says this, sometimes I wonder if God has not answered this prayer because my own faith is weak at times. Plus, there's a lot of room for improvement in my own life. <laughs> well, yeah, I agree with that one for sure. There's a lot of improvement or room for improvement in all of our lives, isn't there? None of us are perfect. We don't pretend to be perfect, but we are, we are stretching toward God's high calling. We are growing our faith because we are learning to trust him more. And, and, you know, I don't know any place in the Bible that it puts such a heavy load on us that we have to have a perfect life for God to be concerned about the things we're concerned about. Now we want to stretch. We want to do better. We want to grow in grace. We often use that expression. And, and I agree. We do. You do too. I want to, we all do. That's, that's normal. But I, I don't know any place where God kind of dangles that out in front of us and says, well, if you would only, then I would. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible loves people, cares for them. He wants to coach us to, to, to improvement, not not to point out our, our flaws so he can say, well, because of that, I don't have to do this. That, that is not at all the picture of, of God we get from the Bible. Not at all the picture of God we get from the life of Jesus that we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not at all. And it's also not about the strength of our faith. Okay, God is not up there in heaven with his arms crossed looking down and saying, well, you keep working at it. As soon as your faith gets a little stronger, you do a few more reps on this workout system, or uh, you run a few more laps down around the track. He's not saying that we have to somehow beef up our prayer or our faith. That, that, that's not it at all. Um, God wants to help all people, and we need to, to change our prayers from prayers of anxious concern to prayers that express that concern with confidence in God. Let me give you a little example of that. It's not exactly this context, but, but I, was, I was really surprised at how this affected me. And I really haven't talked about this with anyone. I, I, I may have the opportunity sometime, but I thought it might be good and might be help, helpful for you. Uh, we have a, a few grandchildren, my wife and I, and one of those grandchildren 
had a trip to the emergency room earlier this week. And uh, that gets our attention, you know, you know, it's just kind of like, yikes, what's going on? And uh, it, it was precautionary because they wanted to rule out appendicitis. Well, turns out it was appendicitis. So they didn't rule it out. They ruled it in. And you know, and I know, and we all pretty well know that that means surgery because they got to get that offending appendix out of there. Well, that hit me in a way I didn't expect. And I, I found myself being rather more distracted by that than I thought I should have been. Well, nothing is totally routine when it comes to stuff like that. When it's a kid, you always feel that. And so I, I found myself praying and I, and I caught myself in the middle of that and said, now, hold on a minute. God knows the reason for your concern. I'm, I'm talking to myself earlier this week, and, and he understands the importance of this situation. He understands the risks of what's going on. He also understands the, the benefits that, that can be had by the surgery. And, and he, he cares about this granddaughter more than, more than I know. And so I found myself, rather than getting myself into a, a nervous, anxious state, I began to pray and to affirm that and to thank God that he cared and to thank him that he knew all about it and to thank him that she was getting the help she needs and to thank him that she would have his, his presence through all of this and that he wouldn't leave us or abandon us and that that I knew I had faith that he was right there in the middle of all of this. And while I couldn't do anything about it, I could trust him to handle it. You know, I began to pray that way and it, it changed the whole way I thought about it. Yeah, I was still distracted. Yes, I still wanted to know how, how things were going. And yes, I was greatly relieved when it turned out well and, and she's getting better day by day. But it reminded me of how often we get ourselves into a terrible state because we don't express our confidence in God to God when we pray. So I was just thinking about this. Maybe that'll help you. Maybe you spend your time too often in anxious concern. And I'm not telling you not to be concerned, but what I'm saying is take your concern and shape it in thanksgiving to God that you know you can trust him. Pour out your heart of concern, but then follow it up with, thank you, thank you. I know you hear my concern. I know you are a God who loves me and all the people I care about and all the situations I care about. And I know you're not gonna abandon us because you promised to be with us. And all of the things that you can think about that you can bring to mind and that you can apply to that situation, do it with, with that kind of confidence and, and thanksgiving, and that will change your outlook. And then that leads us, or it does me, I, I hope it would help you, it does me, it leads me to a place where, where I can, can rest in the confidence that God can be trusted, and, and I'm going to trust him. And that's what I want for you. I want you to come to the place where you can realize that, that God can be trusted and you're willing and able to trust him no matter what. Now, see, part of that comes from your experience and mine, 
we've been through some ups and downs in life and we didn't like going through the downs, but we discovered that through it all, that we could trust in God and that in amazing ways, God could take the bad things that happen in our lives, the lives of the people we care about. And in a way that, that I don't really know how to explain. Sometimes I can a little bit, much of the time, I just don't know how to explain it. But when we get through all of the stuff, we look back and we say, isn't it amazing how God has brought good out of what I thought was just the most devastating thing? Isn't it amazing how, while I wish the circumstances would be different, how God has helped me and strengthened me and been with me through all of this? And I want to suggest that that you start to pray that way and shape those prayers into confidence in God and let him then strengthen you. And you'll discover, you'll discover, I'm almost positive, you'll discover that you have more faith than you realized, and you'll discover that you can trust God in ways you didn't know you could. See, it's not about manipulating God. It's about trusting God. As a friend of mine used to say and said it for a while, it's not about conjuring God up somehow. It's about trusting him. It's about having confidence that God really is who he says he is and that we can trust him. Well, I didn't expect to spend that long on one idea, but maybe it'll help you. I, I hope that it does. You see, we do this program and I want to give a thanks to my church, Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, for uh, helping us do this and spend this time together. They've been very supportive of this and, and we do it for your benefit. And so I hope some of these ideas really do help you because we want to help you grow in your faith and stretch toward, toward God in your life so that you can come to know him in a way that you never imagined possible because he really is there for all of us. So the next question that, that I found that somebody had asked me, and I thought this was a, a good one, and maybe this is a good one to, uh, to kind of wrap up this segment of the program, since we've been talking about prayer and kind of thinking out loud about that. And some of you have been yelling at the radio or your podcast player that I'm full of baloney. Well, that's okay. We can have this conversation. I just don't have to hear your part of it. <laughs> is that okay? Uh, uh, and I don't mind, and God doesn't mind if you wrestle with these things. Wrestle them out. God is big enough to win every battle, and he's gracious enough to engage with you and help you get through it. So, uh, well, anyway, there I go again. So here's the next, this is a the pretty, pretty concise question. What is a good short prayer to use when you need a little extra strength from God? Well, there you go. We all need a little extra strength from God, don't we? We all do. And we all find ourselves in positions where we sometimes get tired or the circumstances of life kind of overwhelm us. And we find ourselves saying, wow, I need a little extra strength from God. And it's sometimes the way we need a little extra strength aspirin to deal with the, the aches and pains of life. So let's think about this a little bit. What is a good short prayer to use when you need a little extra strength from God? So we're talking about prayer again in this question. And then and the, uh, the writer, he or she, and I don't know, again, whether it was a he or a she, let's, let's just take it at face value, What's a good short prayer. Well, I don't know that we necessarily want to say that 
all good prayers are short or all short prayers are good. I'm really kind of interested that that people get kind of wrapped up in this idea of a, of a short or a, a long prayer. Um, I, I don't really want us to get distracted by that too much, but I also want us to, to, to think about what's implied by that. Um, maybe what's implied in this one is that we need a prayer that we can that we can pray quickly because the situation might be intense and we can't stop to think about a deeper, longer something prayer. We just need one that we can pray like right now. And, and, you know, I think that, I think that God gives us that we sometimes overlook the resources that God has given us. Um, so I want to read a little bit from Matthew chapter six, and I think that will help us a little bit. Uh, in thinking about this idea of a good short prayer to use when you need a little extra strength from God. So these are the words of Jesus. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and I'm reading from the New International Version, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Yikes. Don't show off when you pray. That's what he's saying there. Verse six, continuing. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And there you go. All of you who like short prayers, there's your justification. Jesus says, don't keep on babbling. God knows what you need. Just talk to him. And it doesn't require a long, drawn-out conversation. It doesn't require some kind of flowery, showy prayer. It just means that you talk to God. And you can be straightforward with him, and, and he knows what you need. In fact, based on Jesus' words, couldn't you begin your prayer to God by saying, Heavenly Father, I know you know what I need. I'm going to try to express it to you, but if I do a bad job, please hear what I need more than what I say. Is that okay to be that honest with God? I think so. That's what Jesus is saying here. So it helps me to realize I don't have to pray along some kind of uh, check all the boxes prayer. I just need to talk to God about what I need, and he knows already. And then Jesus goes on to, to give a sample prayer. And I'll read that starting with verse 9. You probably will recognize it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And in Matthew chapter 6, that's where that prayer ends. And some of you are familiar with the, there's a little bit more to it that we commonly include. But there's the reason I bring this up is because we overlook the resources God has given us in the scriptures. And we look for some special formula that somebody has developed some special knowledge of so that we can use when we need a little extra strength from God. And God has said, in the person of Jesus. Pray like this. So can't we pray? And, and doesn't 
this prayer summarize a lot of what we need? Deliver us from the evil one. Sometimes that's what, that's what people need because they, they feel like their strength is ebbing away and they need help because the evil one is tempting them or, or assaulting someone they care about or something has gone terribly wrong and it traces back to the, the whole idea of sin. So let me encourage you, don't overlook the Lord's Prayer. Just because you learned it as a child, and some of us did, uh, and, and some of us haven't learned it yet, so maybe you need to go back and learn it. But just because you're familiar with it, or you've heard about it, or you know that it's there, doesn't mean you shouldn't pray it. Jesus didn't give us that model prayer so we wouldn't pray it. We pray it every week in church. I'm not really quite sure why we started that, but it seemed like the right thing to do. And, and I don't think God has told me that we should stop. There's something wonderful that happens when we listen to each other and we share together in praying the Lord's Prayer. So when you need a prayer and you don't know what else to pray, try the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. If you don't get any farther than that, it reminds you that God is great and he is to be hallowed. And then it reminds us because of his greatness and because we need to hallow him, we can trust him. But there I go again, right, with the trustworthiness of God. I only go there because I, I over and over am convinced that people just forget that or don't think it's important enough or something. And we need to affirm in our spirits, in our souls, in our minds, we need to affirm it out loud that we can trust God and we will, because he is trustworthy and that's what faith is. Well, I really expected we get to more questions, but that's because I talk too much about these. I get that and you get that and that's the way it is. But we'll have a few more questions when we get back. Stay with us. This is Faith Is. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs. Uh, I like the Focus and Recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD for a 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. While the cancel culture is determined to destroy our history, bringing violence and terror to city streets, America Out Loud will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, on the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. All right, welcome back. This is Faith Is, and I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and We've been talking about the questions people ask me because this is instant sermon weekend at our church. And so I thought we ought to do that here on the program. And I would take some questions that I've been asked and, and just talk about them. We're going to think through them together. And we're 
kind of putting them in the context of, of the whole idea of the program that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And so we've been talking about faith and we've been talking about praying and we're going to take a turn and talk about some other things. Um, I'm just going to keep taking the questions as I laid them out here and we'll see how we get along and uh, answer as many of them as we can. And we'll come back to another instant sermon weekend in a few months when we have another five Sunday month. So here's the next question somebody gave me, and they probably see what's going on in the world around us, and they know of my concern for education and what's going on in our public schools in Florida. And so they asked this question, if in God we trust is such a large part of U.S. history, how can we teach children in schools about God? Presently, they are not being taught that, but they learn about evolution and demon worship in elementary classes. Well, it's very true that there are a lot of egregious things being taught to our children in schools, a lot of things that are happening that should not be happening. And I can show you materials that should not be in our schools here in Florida, and they are. And it's, it's just unbelievable that that is not being taken care of. We have been working on this for a while, but we haven't been able to get the attention of people somehow. Some people don't believe us that it's true. We can demonstrate that it is. And so the person who wrote the question is right. The kids are learning a lot of things they shouldn't be exposed to. Uh, let me give you one story that came out of Florida just this past week. In one of the counties in Florida, Okaloosa County, a teacher showed an R-rated movie to her class. I think the teacher was a woman, if I remember the story correctly. Showed this R-rated movie to her class. I read, and I wouldn't repeat here, some of the things that were depicted in that R-rated movie, and it's clearly not something that belongs in a public high school, in any high school. It's clearly not something that most parents would want their children to be exposed to. And so now this teacher is under criminal investigation because of this movie that was shown in the class. You know, it's, it's fine, and I think it's appropriate that somebody investigate and put a stop to this kind of stuff. It absolutely must stop. It should never have happened, and it can't be allowed to happen again. But then there's also the concern, how do those, those young men and women, those high school students, unsee what the teacher showed in that classroom? So, yes, we know some really terrible things are happening uh, and in our schools and to our children. And that's just one example. There was another example but maybe I'll have to save that for another time. We want to get a few more questions. So let's go back to this. If in God we trust is such a large part of U.S. history, how can we teach children in schools about God? Well, the first thing I want to, I want to point out is that, and, and sometimes people don't like this, and I, I'm not quite sure why, but you know, we pastors, we're supposed to tell you all the truth, whether you like it or not, whether you like us or not, right? So I'm just going to put it out there that we need to realize and we need to get a re- uh, a, a re-understanding, a, a reaffirmation that our schools are not responsible for teaching our children. We are, uh, as parents, as grandparents, the church needs to come along and support that, but it's primarily the parents that are responsible for the education of the children. That's just, the, you know, God gave them to parents as a gift, and so it becomes the parents' responsibility. Now, for many years, Many parents, I, I was one of them, we just believed that the schools would handle that and that they would care for our children as much as we did and protect them from harmful things, make 
make sure they're safe at the end of the day, make sure they learn their reading, writing, and arithmetic, all those kinds of things. And so we considered the school a partner with us in education. But we still must realize it's our responsibility to make sure our children get an education. So when we ask ourselves, how do we teach our children about things like in God we trust, we first need to realize that it's primarily our responsibility. Now, interestingly enough, in Florida, a couple of years ago, the legislature passed a law, the legislature passed the bill, the governor signed it into the law, that in every school facility, every public school facility in the state of Florida, they were supposed to post, so everybody could see it, the motto of the state of Florida. I thought that was a great idea. I was a little surprised it passed, but not disappointed because the motto of the state of Florida is this, in God we trust. The unfortunate thing is that uh, I don't think too many schools have done that. I ask around and people tell me they've not seen it posted in their school. And there's a reason for that. It's because there's no penalty in the law if they don't do it. But nonetheless, they should have posted it. But even if they posted it, it doesn't change our responsibility to educate our own children and to help them learn. And, and I am convinced that we need to give parents the choice in that education, and then they could do a better job of ensuring their child's education. So let's be careful that we don't shift the burden of blame to the schools when it's our responsibility as parents. Uh, you kind of understand where I'm coming from with that, I hope. Um, it is a part of our history. It is something our children need to understand, but it really needs to be something that we make sure they learn, not that we expect somebody else to handle for us. And in the meantime, we're going to keep working to give parents more, more opportunity to shape and guide the education of their children. We're working on that in Florida. We've made a lot of strides. A lot more needs to be done, but there's hope that we can get there. I don't, can't guarantee it will, but there's hope that it would. And, and whatever state you live, I hope you'll work and advocate to give parents the primary responsibility for the education of their children. It is the parent's job. They must have the primary voice. The, the whole community of people, all of the residents of the state need to have a strong voice in that because it's the taxpayers that pay the bills and the taxpayers need to be heard, especially when it comes to the education of children. So anyway, I can talk a lot more about that, but we'll leave that there. Parents, if you want your child to understand in God we trust, you can teach them by your example. Make sure you're in church every weekend. Oh, there he goes again, acting like a pastor. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too reluctant to say that. We've seen a lot of slippage. People just want to want to kind of consider church optional. You need to knock that stuff off. You need to make sure it's as important in your life and in the life of your child as anything else they do. If you won't let them miss school, don't let them miss church. If you won't let them miss soccer practice or soccer games, don't let them miss church for any reason. I'm getting a little old and cranky on that because I've heard too many excuses and I've seen too many heartbreaks when children turn away from God because their parents didn't model that it mattered more than anything else they did and that they were going to be in church on Sunday, period, end of discussion. So parents, take heart, take courage, teach your children. All right, another question that comes up from time to time, and it's understandable. It's a good question. In light of all the horrible events we see all around us, 
How do we not become angry and judgmental and discouraged, but retain our faith and rise above it? Well, it's true. There, there are a lot of reasons to be discouraged. There are a lot of reasons to be angry because we see so many places where what God says is right is being turned inside out. And people are saying what God says is right is really wrong. And what God says is wrong is really right. And it just kind of gives us pause. It discourages people. But I don't think we should be discouraged. I think that discouragement is a temptation. And I don't think that God wants us to be discouraged at all. We are not the first people in history to face daunting challenges. I mean, come on. They faced some pretty daunting challenges in New Testament times, some really harder things to deal with than what we've had to deal with. And so we need to, we need to take courage. We need to lift our eyes to the reason for our hope. See, God is not finished with us yet. God has not abandoned us. And we need to keep our minds and our hearts focused on him. That helps us rise above the discouragements around us. Because God is able, we know that. God is concerned, we know that. God has not abandoned us, we know that. And so we need to rise above all of that and not let it get us down. Now, why can I say that? Well, because of all the things I said and because of what the Bible teaches, but it also helps me to, to remember, and, and I say this with some frequency, that, that one day God is going to make all of the wrong things right. One day all of the things that, that go on that, that we know offend God, that we know trouble God, that trouble us, that discourage us, one day every wrong is going to be made right. That helps me a lot. Now, the, the person who wrote the question says, how do we not become angry? Well, sometimes we are angry in the righteous sense of that because we're angry that, that these things that are clearly evil are, are succeeding in some ways and they're hurting people. You see, the reason that we don't want to see horrible things happen, that we don't want to see people do horrible things, the reason we don't want people to sin is because it's bad for people. And so we need to we need to understand that we need to be righteously upset when things happen that are bad for people. We want good for people. God wants good for people. That's why he told us what sin is so we could stay away from it because it's bad for us. Sometimes people just get a little confused about what that means, and that's it. To me, sin is bad for us. That's why we stay away from it. It's as simple as that. And when it comes to the evil that people that people do in the world. I mean, it's some of the things are unspeakable. We just cry out to God like the psalmists have done. And there are plenty of examples in the Bible and ask God to have mercy on us. We can even pray, come quickly. What's the Bible say? Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And it's entirely appropriate to pray that way and to remind God of the evil that's going on. But when we see the evil, we also need to thank God that he sent his son, who the Bible says became sin for us, and took that sin to the cross where he paid the penalty for the sin of the world, even the sin of the horrible things we see around us. So we know God cares, and we know he's taken care of it. We just, we just need to trust him that one day, in the same way that Jesus rose victorious from the grave, one day he will return, make all of the wrongs right, 
And he promised us the end is going to be better than we could have imagined. Because there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we can trust him to handle all of the stuff in between. So when you become discouraged, when we become a little judgmental, I don't think we want to go there on the judgmental route. Find yourself becoming judgmental. Remind yourself that the reason God has let you see what someone has done that is clearly evil, he's let you see that because he's teaching you how to pray for that person. So just pray for them. When you become a little angry or a lot angry at the things that are being done, egregious things that are being done to people, remind yourself that Jesus took all of that and more on himself at the cross. And we are grateful because he broke the power of canceled sin. And everybody said, amen. Yes, I heard you. Thank you. All right, let's go. Here's another one. If we spend a lot of our time being worried, fretful, and anxious, where is God in that? Well, exactly right. I think that person was brilliant. Exactly right. Where is God in, in worry, fret, anxiety? Uh, I don't think that's what God came to give. I think the Bible talks about how he came to give us peace of heart and mind. So we didn't have to be anxious and worried. And so I think the, the questioner may simply be asking that rhetorically. Where is God in that? With, with the obvious answer, he's not in that. And so when we find ourselves in those places, I didn't know we were going to go down this path again, but it's just like I said earlier, when we find ourselves worried, fretful, anxious, we need to turn that around and say to God, thank you. You understand that I'm human, and so I get concerned about these things, and, and I want to change that concern now to affirmation that you are right here with me and with the people I care about. I don't need to be worried. I don't need to be anxious because I know I can trust you and I'm going to trust you. Um, here, here's, here's a way I, I read this reason. I don't think I can give you the exact quote and I don't have it right here, but, but, I, but here's a, here's a thought experiment. Okay. It's, it's, I want to check your memory. That's really what it is. Uh, I, I want to want to ask you, um, can, can you make a list of all of the things you were worried about a year ago? I mean, that's a memory test. Can you make a list of all the things you were worried about a year ago? Enough said, right? Yeah, enough said. We worry about things and we worry about things, but life goes on and God goes on and we can trust him and look what he does to our worries when we trust him. That's the point. All right, here's another question, and I think we'll have time to do this one. It's um, a little bit on the long side, but that's probably because the question's not long. My thoughts are probably a little on the long side, but let's, let's tackle it. What are the best Bible verses that deal with temptation and forgiveness? Uh, that's an interesting question because it's not really just about best Bible verses. It's about what we do with what God says in the Bible. And it is true we need to deal with temptation and forgiveness because they are real issues. We need to be forgiven and we need to forgive. Fair enough? Fair enough. Okay, so let's talk about God's forgiveness. And the first verse that comes to many of our minds may have come to your mind when you begin to think about what are the best Bible verses that deal with temptation and forgiveness. 
is First is John 1, 9. And the NIV says this, New International Version says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Wow, that's pretty straightforward. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So forgiveness is possible. It is a gift from God. It is dependent, according to this verse, on our willingness to own up to our sins. That's a big deal. Now, some people have trouble. That, that, I think that's the, that's the error of our times, is people don't want to come to grips with the, the reality that they've sinned. They want to explain it away. And, and I think that's one of the reasons people have trouble with trusting God is because they know how guilty they are, and they just don't know what to do with that. They, they just don't know there's hope for them. But right here, it's clear as can be that if we confess, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and be more than that, purify us from all unrighteousness. I don't think people think that's possible anymore. Bible says it is. I also like the way the message puts this and in this same section of John, it's a few more verses than just verse nine, but the message says this, if we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, simply come clean about them, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. So it starts out in that little extended passage that I read that, that we're only fooling ourselves if we think that we haven't sinned. And so we need to own up to it. When, when, we, when we do what God says don't, or when we refuse to do what God says we need to do, it's simple. It's what God calls sin. It's not complicated. We make it complicated because we want to talk ourselves out of it or try to justify ourselves or something. And the, and the message translation puts it so well that if we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. So can we deal with reality here and say that's nonsense, that if we think we're free of sin, if we think we have never done something we shouldn't do that we need to take care of, can we, can we admit that? But then the Bible goes on. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, simply come clean about them, he won't let us down. Referring to God, he won't let us down. God, he'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. So there's real hope, real hope for forgiveness, real hope for forgiveness. And, and now the, the questioner didn't specify whether they were talking about forgiveness from God or our forgiveness of other people. But let me suggest this in, in the context of this co conversation about forgiveness. It's not quite as cut and dried as we'd like it to be, but there's a lot of truth to this, that when we come to the realization of how much we've been forgiven, it's a whole lot easier to forgive the people in our lives. I didn't say it's easy. It's not always easy. There are some egregious things people have had to deal with. You know that, and I know that. Betrayal and worse. 
But when we come to realize that we, as this song used to say, I guess we don't sing it much anymore. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. When we realize it's us standing in the need of forgiveness and that God has forgiven us, then it's easier to realize that we can forgive that sorry rascal in our lives. So a little bit about forgiveness. Now, what about this idea of temptation? Well, uh, temptation is quite the subject, isn't it? Everybody wants to know about temptation. I, I think that we fixate on that a little too much because, again, I'm not quite sure temptation is quite as complicated as, as we make it out to be. And now it's also related to this idea of forgiveness because when we confess our sins to God, what, what that involves is that we renounce those sins. And we, we say, I'm not going to do it again. We're done with that. We sometimes use the word repent over that. And that word repent gets scrambled a lot of times. I think it simply means that we turn away from. We do a U-turn on life and go the other direction. So when it comes to temptation and forgiveness, they are intertwined, aren't they? So here's, here's 1 John. First uh, John, uh, no, it's not 1 John. It's 1 Corinthians 10.13. I looked in the wrong place. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 from the NIV, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Or this one says, I, I'm, I'm King James right there. Did you catch that? No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, the NIV says, because it involves men and women. So continuing, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So take heart. What's God telling us here in 1 Corinthians? He's saying that you're not really special. Your temptation isn't any worse or more difficult than somebody else's. You're, you're not special and you, you're the only one ever to have this temptation. No, uh, temptation is, is a human, human problem. Uh, you're just like everybody else. I'm just like everybody else. We're, we're tempted. But it reminds us that God is faithful. Here we go again. Faith is absolute confidence in the faithfulness or trustworthiness of God. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, there's hope there. Some people think, oh, if you only knew how much I was tempted, you'd know why I fall into sin all the time. Uh, can we get real here? very real. God says you won't be tempted beyond what you can bear. So, hey, hey, step up here. Pay attention. He goes on to say, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Where's the escape hatch? That's what people keep looking for. Well, that's an interesting idea because I haven't found this uh, magic escape hatch, but I have discovered that God does work with us. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 from the message. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. Now, here's the rub. God has given us plenty of evidence that he's with us to overcome temptation, but the temptation really comes down to this. It's not about a specific thing. It's about this. Do you want to follow God's way or do you want your own way? That's what temptation comes down to. In almost everything, if God is asking you to do something, your challenge is, will you do what God is asking you to do or will you do what you want to do? 
If God is telling you to stop something, will you stop that something because God is asking you to? Or will you say to God, I don't want to stop it. I'm going to keep doing it. See, do you want God's way or your way? That's what Jesus said in the garden when he prayed to escape the cross. He said to God, not my will, but yours be done. That is the battle of trusting God right there. When we can come to the point that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, and we will trust him enough to do what he says or to stop doing what he says to stop doing. Let's stretch toward God's high calling. Let's be that kind of trustworthy, faithful people that have that kind of confidence in God. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and I'll be back again next week. We'll talk some more. In the meantime, you be faithful and trust him. Amen. Amen.